And Father, we thank you for the great teacher who lives on the inside of us, the Spirit of God. Father, we, we yield to him. We come to him, Father, with open hearts and receptive minds, Father, to receive your word, to receive revelation from your word. We thank you that he will reveal and instruct and teach and show us the things in your word that we need to apply to our lives today. And so, Father, we give you the praise and the honor for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, praise God, we have been teaching on the topic of prayer. We finished up the prayer of, of uh, praying with other tongues. And, um, and, of course, we know the answer to the question of how many people in a church should be praying with other tongues. Uh, everyone, right? According to the will of God. Amen. That, that doesn't mean everybody is. Uh, but um, uh, it's God's desire. And not just his desire. It, it was really the plan of the head of the church, the Lord Jesus, that every Christians speak with other tongues uh, as the Spirit gives them utterance uh, because of all the value that you get out of it, amen, about edifying yourself, building yourself up, praying the perfect prayer, uh, keeping your words in line with the Word of God. You know, there's so many benefits to, to praying with other tongues um, that um, uh, I don't know why you wouldn't want to do it, amen. Of course, I think part of it is there's a bit of a stigma that comes along with it because uh, you know, important people or people that are very uh, particular, you know, are kind of put off by some of the emotionalism that, that the Pentecostal church has been known for over the years. Uh, I mean, you know, rolling around on the floors and jumping pews, you know, breaking pews and uh, all kinds of wild things like that. Uh, and, you know, the, the thing about that is, is uh, I'm not opposed to any of that stuff if it's, it's, if it's God. And, uh, and I have seen plenty of it when it wasn't the Lord, that it was just flesh and carnality. And, you know, sometimes it's just sincere people wanting to express themselves and they don't, they don't know how to do it. They don't know how to be led by their spirit in doing that. And so, you know, sometimes they express it in their flesh. Uh, but at least they're sincere in the sense that, you know, they just love God. And they want to express some way that they don't feel capable of doing it. So they run around the church or, you know, sometimes the spirit of God does get on them. And, and so some of it is for sure real. Uh, and I have seen the real and I've seen the the uh, uh, the not so real. Uh, but the thing about it is uh, if people are doing it with a sincere hearts and not for show and not for not to be seen, that type of thing, then why does that bother anyone? You know, uh, it doesn't bother me uh, at all. You know, and now I have been in circumstances where it seems as though. Uh, now, this isn't, isn't a, a blanket law, but it seems as though that uh, people that probably have the hardest time staying in the, uh, in the will of God in the area of humility, oftentimes it's uh, musicians, singers and musicians. Because, and I think part of it is because of the great talent that the Lord gives to them that uh, there's a lot of attention drawn to that particular anointing that's upon their lives. And, and I have seen... Uh, plenty of times where people would sing uh, and it, the words were good, the songs were good, you know, but the heart was just so uh, self-seeking that it was just so distasteful for me to even even be there, much less uh, sing along with them. Everything was about them uh, and they wanted the glory and they wanted the attention. They wanted to be seen of men uh, for their great talent, even though we know that our talents are given to us by God, so why do we glory? I mean, the Bible literally says, you know, why dost thou glory as if thou hadst not received those things? Uh, and, um, but it seems to be a, a common 
a, a common temptation for those with that type of talent, whether it's musical talent or singing talent, it seems oftentimes that it's, it's hard for them to stay in, um, to stay in, in humility. Uh, and, um, uh, and so, uh, you know, I'd much rather have somebody running around the church in sincerity than a prideful person singing, you know, where it's all about them. Uh, because the Spirit of God, you know, He'll put up with a lot of carnality if it's just sincere, you know, maybe uh, even, if it's, even if it's not 100% the Spirit of God. You know, if they mean well, He'd do that 100 times more than He'd put up with somebody being, trying to receive glory unto themselves. Uh, there, there, there's only one worthy to be worshipped, and that's the Lord God Himself. Amen? Uh, and so, so I understand that there is a stigma sometimes that comes along with speaking with other tongues. But, you know, it's, it's like the proverbial, you know, I don't go to church because there's hypocrites at church. Anybody ever heard that thing, the saying there, right? Uh, well, that's just, you know, such a childish thing to say because, number one, I'm not going to let you keep me from doing what I should do. Just because you're not acting right doesn't mean I'm going to not do what's right. Um, you know, uh, well, everybody else is lying, so I'm going to lie too. Or, you know, it's just, uh, it's such a, it's just an excuse because they don't want to do the will of God. And so I don't ever buy their excuse. It's like, well, you're just lazy. You don't want to go to church, you know, or whatever the, the root cause of it is. It ain't the people that are, are hypocrites. Uh, because uh, if there are any perfect churches, as soon as you show up, it's no longer a perfect church. Amen. Uh, as soon as I show up, it's no longer a perfect church. So why, why is a per- perfect church a requirement for you before you go there? Amen. Uh, and so it's, uh, you know, there's a lot of things that people say like that, right? Well, I don't go to church because of hypocrites or I don't speak with other tongues because they're, uh, they're crazy people. And well, there may be some crazy people that, are, that speak with the tongues, but why would that hinder you from receiving what, the, what is clearly uh, a doctrine in the word of God? Uh, so I don't allow anybody to dictate what I believe or not believe, even if I see, just like with prosperity, has there ever been any, uh, uh, any uh, mis- uh, guided people who preach prosperity and are only trying to get money out of your pocket? Well, sure there have been. There's been plenty of sheep thieves and shearers, sheep shearers, and people that are trying to pad their own pocket and always trying to get a dollar out of your, uh, out of your uh, pocket there. Uh, but does that do away with the doctrine of prosperity? It does not, amen? And so uh, what I would rather do would be to bring the correction of the doctrine and get the doctrine lined up the way it's supposed to be versus just throwing the whole doctrine out because uh, what happens, and I've seen this many times, is that what people will do is this person over here preaches prosperity in such a way that is not according to the word of God and is there only to benefit them per, their personal self and, and try to get money out of your pocket. So they'll do away with the whole doctrine because of that person. Uh, and it would be much better to, to say, well, you know, it's said that, that, um, that we're only here for the money, uh, but that's not true, so let's find out what the Word of God says, and, you know, the Word of God says that He'll prosper us. Uh, we'll be above and not beneath, you know, uh, the head and not the tail. We'll be the lenders and not the borrowers. Wouldn't that be nice to be the lender and not the borrower all the time? Um, you know, well, that takes prosperity to do that, amen? Uh, and so a lot of people will throw the baby out with the bathwater, but again, it's just an excuse, you know. I, I mean, I don't like that people are, are misusing uh, the, the message of prosperity. But you've got the Holy Ghost in you. You know, to me, that's been one of the saddest things of the church is everybody in the church that's born again has the Holy Spirit in them. Every single one of them. 
And it's our job as receivers of the word to take everything that's said from the pulpit with a grain of salt and go confirm it both by the word of God and by the spirit of God. Uh, and then and only then do you receive it as being gospel if it's if it's really it meets those two criteria. Uh, and uh, and yet how many people have just signed off, signed their whole life away to somebody because somebody preached a, a message on prosperity and now they're broke and don't have anything and signed their life away and the house away and all kind of, and then have bitter regrets for doing those things. Uh, and, and it's a shame that that does happen, uh, that there's a lot of a lot of. Uh, charlatans in the body of Christ um, but uh, they've got the Holy Ghost and we're not trying to, to heap, up, heap on them double up with what they've already had but they've got the Holy Ghost you've got the Holy Ghost uh, and you should never receive anything anybody says uh, without first checking it in the word of God and making sure that, that, it's, that it's accurate um, and so uh, but you know it's, to me it's interesting because I have seen uh, a lot of times where people They'll pick and choose certain doctrines like tongues or prosperity. Uh, and they'll go on a warfare against those doctrines. Uh, and, and when you pull the curtain back, what you find is someone who wants attention. Someone who wants to be seen themselves. Uh, and that's an ac- action of pride. And, you know, my Bible calls pride an abomination. Because you really shouldn't be able to take any doctrine that's actually in the word of God and come and rail against it. If prosperity is in the word of God, which it is, uh, you know, given shall be given unto you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall men given to you bosom. Well, if you've got good measure, shaken together, running over, pressed down, that's a lot, right? I mean, uh, uh, anybody ever got a garbage can? You know, it's amazing how much you can get a garbage can if you, if you shake it, press it down, and, you know, and keep stomping on it. It's like it was full yesterday, but you can cram a little bit more in there, right? You can press it down a little bit more and get more in there. And at the end of the day, it weighs 100 pounds. Uh, you know, you should have taken it out when it weighed 20 pounds, but, you know, you can still keep on getting more stuff in there. Uh, or you go to the buffet, you know, and, and uh, you know, you think you're full, but, you, you know, you shake a little bit, press down some things, and you can eat another plate full. And so, you know, it's amazing how much more you get in there if, if you do some of those things, right? Press it down, shake it shake it together, and, and then, uh, of course, you don't really want the buffet to be running over. But uh, And so, but it, it's unfortunate that I see those things in the body of Christ where people rail against doctrines that are just clearly in the word of God and, and, and uh, without any controversy. It's, it's literally simple in the word of God. And um, we were in faith school today and someone brought up one particular question uh, about a verse and we won't go into the details about it, but I'm thinking, just read the verse. I mean, just if you actually read the verse, there, there, there's nothing what you just said is in that verse. Just the simple reading of the word of God would be pretty simple. You know, you would never come up with that doctrine. Uh, and so uh, my, my, my statement is always the same, that the simple reading of the word of God is usually sufficient to find out what the doctrine is behind it. Uh, but usually what happens is that men will take a Bible verse and they'll say, well, it doesn't mean that. Well, then why did it say that, right? It means this thing over here, right? And there may be some things where you need to interpret some things that are not perfectly clear. That's fine. But if it's the simple reading of the word of God is, you know, uh, uh, whatsoever things uh, you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them, you shall have them. Pretty simple verse, right? Not a hard verse to understand. And yet that has caused more grief in people because, well, you're, you know, you're one to name it and claim it crowd. I mean, that's literally what it says. What things you desire when you pray. So you've got a name that you desire and you, 
believe that you receive it. So you claim that you receive it. Well, that's literally name and claim it. You know, I think they obviously use that name and claim it as, as a negative. Uh, but it's still, that's what it says. Amen. So just because that causes you to be upset, I'm not going to stop believing that. Amen. Uh, and just because other people have used that in an in a incorrect way for their own personal gain, that doesn't mean I will, I will uh, cease uh, following the doctrine either. Amen. Uh, and so we've been studying on prayer. So we finished up the prayer of praying in, in other tongues. And um, uh, we're, we're about to finish up the prayer because uh, um, uh, really it's the last one. There's a couple little things we want to mention after this re- regarding prayer in general. But uh, the last type of prayer that we want to look at is called the prayer of intercession. Uh, and so uh, the prayer of intercession, it, it means to act between two parties with the thought of reconciling the two. So there's two parties. And uh, you ever had two people who won't speak to each other? And they need somebody to intercede? Uh, hey, would you, you know, tell her that I'm not going? He said, you know, she said she's not going, or he said she's not going, right? Uh, well, tell them I don't want to go anyway. You know, okay, well, they said they don't want to go, you know. And so now you're, you know, you're not really adding any value in that, in that sense, right? But, but because they don't want to reconcile, they need a third party to bring them together. Uh, and so... It's the same thing in prayer. Uh, and, um, uh, and so the prayer of intercession, it's kind of a unique uh, prayer because uh, it, it's not really praying for yourself. So a lot of the other prayers, you know, there's some aspect of praying for yourself, right? The prayer of faith is things that you need. The prayer for speaking in tongues. Um, you know, it's, it's uh, uh, edifying yourself. Of course, you can pray for other people too. But the intercession is really... Uh, you praying on the behalf of somebody else. Uh, and, uh, and so let's, let's look at some verses here. Let's turn over to the book of uh, Ezekiel, uh, chapter 22. So uh, oftentimes, um, uh, we are either praying for the unsaved and the lost, or we're praying for the backslidden Christian. Because the prayer of intercession is primarily used to pray on behalf of somebody who either doesn't know how to, or is unwilling to, or really can't because they don't know uh, anything about prayer. Uh, maybe they're not saved, and so you know they don't really have any access to prayer like we do. And so we as Christians will intercede. Uh, and so th- this gives us some insight uh, about the prayer of, of intercession. But I wanted to back up a little bit uh, before we get to the actual verse about intercession and find out what was the cause for the Lord desiring there to be an intercessor. So let's back up to uh, Ezekiel chapter 22, verse 23. And it says, And the word of the Lord came unto me, so this is, came unto Ezekiel the prophet, saying, Son of man, say unto her, Thou art the land that is not cleansed, nor rained upon in the day of indignation. There is a conspiracy of her prophets in the midst thereof, like a roaring lion, ravening the prey. They have devoured souls. They have taken the treasure and precious things. They have made her many widows in the midst thereof. So it started out talking about, you know, you've got these prophets that are uh, trying to get gain on their own behalf, right? Uh, that they're uh, acting like lions and devouring souls, taking treasure, precious things. You know, uh, it, w- it never amazes me, never ceases to amaze me how little fear some people have. I mean, you know, can you imagine going into the temple and stealing precious things as if the Lord doesn't notice, as if the Lord doesn't keep track of all those things? 
you know, uh, it amazes me how, how sometimes people could just be so ungodly, you know, in a service, interrupting a church service, you know, for example, and being disrespectful to a church service. You know, we're here to represent the Lord. We're here to usher in the presence of God. And yet some people have no, no respect for that at all. And, you know, a couple of times we've had people take things out of the building next door. You know, it belongs to the church. Uh, and, um, uh, you know, is there no fear of God? You know, you think the Lord saw all that? Sure he does, right? What do you think the Lord thinks about thieves? Well, he, they're of the father of the devil, right? That's what he, he called the, the devil a thief, right? He's the first thief. Uh, and so they're operating uh, as, uh, uh, as representatives of the devil. Uh, and so he, he fussed at the prophets for a while there. Then he says in verse 26, her priests have violated my law and have profaned my holy things. They have put no difference between the holy and the profane. Neither have they showed difference between the unclean and the clean and have hid their eyes from my Sabbath. And I am profaned among them. So uh, the, 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 there's no difference between the sacred and the secular, just the regular old stuff, right? Uh, you know, it's, a, it's the same thing, you know, when you come into a church, now, you know, we've got instruments, right? We've got a piano, there's a, uh, there's a saxophone, there's a guitar, right? There's microphones. Well, you know, you can go in the world and you can find a piano, right? And find a guitar and saxophone and, and uh, those types of things, microphones. So, um, you know, uh, are, are they ungodly inherently? Is that piano ungodly because it's a piano? No, it's ungodly because it's used in an ungodly fashion, right? When we bring in things for the use of the Lord, it gets sanctified because, uh, in, because it's for the use of the master. Now, that's the distinction that we in the church need to understand, that when we bring in something that's for the Lord's benefit, um, that it gets sanctified. So when we, pray, when we play on that piano, it gets sanctified, and we can hear the presence of God coming out of that piano, can't we? I mean, we, it ushers in the presence of God, and the Lord is magnified, and all is well. Uh, but... If we come in here and just, well, we're going to sing Kiss an Angel Good Morning because, you know, um, I think is in the next line, like, love her like the devil when she comes back home, something like that, right? So it's got to be a Christian song, right? It's got, it's got angels and devils, right? So it's got to be a Christian song. Uh, now, what is that? Well, that's profane. That's secular, right? That, that's something that, you know, we don't bring in because it's of the world. And yet the church will uh, many times will not make the distinction between the holy and the and the secular, the holy or the profane is what the, the, what the uh, King James says. Uh, and we need to be able to do that. We need to say, well, we don't do that. Right. We don't do just because, uh, you know, it's not illegal. I mean, we could sing kiss an angel. Good morning. Right. This, the, nobody's going to come knock on our door and arrest us. And the Lord probably would. But, you know, there's no no city police is going to arrest us or anything. So. Uh, so uh, what's the problem? Well, the problem is we, we refuse to uh, be holy. Uh, you know, holy, holiness is not the absence of sin. Holiness is to be unique in all the universe. The Lord is the only God in the universe. He's unique in that. That's what holiness means, is to be, is to be unique and be like him only. Uh, it's not the absence of sin. Being like God will cause you to not sin, but not sinning does not make you like God. Amen. Uh, and, and so people think, you know, some, if, I, if I stop doing certain things, I'll look more like the Lord. No, you've got to start doing things to look like the Lord. You've got to uh, be holy like he is. Uh, and so he said that they have made, put no difference between the holy and the profane. And, you know, you've got to make that distinction. If you want to be a 
godly person, if you want to be a person that the Lord can use, if you want to be a person who has your prayers answered, you, it has to be okay that you're a Christian. And, and you know, it, it's interesting because over the years I've met uh, and heard ministers who are almost uh, uh, bitter about having to be a Christian and having to be different than the world. Uh, and, well, you know, we, we need to look like the world. If we're going to gain the world, we've got to look like the world. Uh, what did he say? That they made no distinction. They made no difference between the holy and the profane. So in other words, if you walk in and, and everything in the church looks like everything at the, at the local bar and everybody's dressed like everybody at the local bar and everybody talks like everybody at the local bar and everybody's drinking like everybody at the local bar, then there's no difference, right? There's no difference between us and the local bar. Uh, and, uh, and the Lord said, you know, that's a bad thing. Amen. Uh, what does Romans chapter 12 say? It says, be not conformed to this world. So that's a New Testament version of that same thing. And yet it seems like that's a hard thing for the church. We just seem to struggle because what happens is if we can stroke people's flesh and just say, you know, just come and wear what you ever want to wear. And, you know, uh, we don't want to make you feel uncomfortable. So we're going to have a keg in the back of the, you know, the back table there. Just get you a small cup. You know, don't get a big cup. Just get a small cup of, of, uh, you know, it's it's home brewed uh, beer. So, you know, it's good stuff, right? So we, we don't want you to feel uncomfortable, so we're going to have a bar, a wet bar in the back of the church, right? Uh, well, you know, there's things like that that goes on every day in churches, right? I mean, they have wet bars, and they have keg parties, and they do, you know, all kinds of stuff. And, uh, and uh, you know, all, remember back in the 80s, all those multi-level marketing schemes that they had, like phone cards? That got into the church, swept into the church. Uh, and, well, why is that? Well, because people wanted money. People love money. Don't, don't people love money, right? I mean, m- money's fine, right? Uh, uh, it's nice to have money, but we shouldn't love money. But, but uh, instead of the ministers, because the Bible says that uh, a workman is worthy of his wages, which is talking about in the context of ministers, that ministers are worthy to be paid for the work that they do. Uh, and so were they not happy with what they're getting paid? I mean, were they, was it not getting paid enough? I mean, I don't know what the, what the root cause of it was. Uh, but instead of doing things in a godly way, they had to do things in a worldly way. Just like, you know, uh, I think I told you that somebody came up to me one time and said, hey, we need to have like bake sales and, you know, sell cakes and pies and, uh, and, and, and make some money for the church. Um, yeah, I just, I, 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 don't, I don't like that thought because that's, see, to me that's making no distinction between God and how he operates and the world how they operate God how he operates is to bless all of us individually and when we come together collectively then the church is is prosperous financially right and so uh, our prayer should be and my prayer is for each individual person in the church that they prosper so the Lord prospers them and then they prosper the ministry Uh, getting money outside of that by selling stuff like that uh, and I'm not opposed to, you know, we sell books and, and um, you know, but we give away a lot more stuff than we sell. Uh, so, you know, there, there's a balance to, to everything, but we're not out selling like, you know, um, how to get rich quick schemes and the latest church diet books and secular books like that, right? We're, we're, the books that we sell are, are doctrinal books. Uh, and so he said that they make no difference between the holy and the profane. Uh, neither have they show difference between the unclean and the clean. And, you know, I've had people just fuss at me over things that don't mount to a hill of beans, like having an Easter egg hunt, right? 
uh, and what's wrong with an Easter? I still don't know what's wrong with an Easter egg hunt, you know. I mean, I know, I know the arguments, well, Easter was a, originally a pagan holiday, and, you know, then we turned it into a Christian holiday. And, um, but when you think of Easter today, what do you think about? The resurrection of Jesus, right? Do you think about bunny rabbits and, and chocolate eggs? And do you think about whatever pagan symbols originated with Easter? No, what do you think about? You think about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Every Christian in the world thinks about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Um, and there's probably three that don't. You know, they're all the ones that are mad. But, uh, but see, we're saying that Easter is a difference than whatever pagan thing it came from. Uh, and in that, it gets sanctified because we say that it's a celebration of the resurrection of Lord Jesus. And, and that's perfectly fine. But people will fight and fuss and argue you're wrong. And I mean, you know, just uh, and uh, I had I had a lady call me up one time and said, yeah, you know, the Bible says you shouldn't have a Christmas tree. Really? The Bible says you shouldn't have a Christmas tree? Anybody know where that's at? Thou shalt not have a Christmas tree? I mean, I, you know, uh, I didn't know that. And she said, you know, that's in there, right? And I, and I said, ma'am, I, I really don't know where that's at. She said, well, you don't read your Bible much, do you? She, I mean, we never met. I didn't even know who this lady was. She just called me out of the blue. And judging me, you know, uh, I, I don't read my Bible much, you know. Well, I'm generally not searching for thou shalt not have a Christmas tree. Uh, uh, you know, I'm usually just reading the Bible, right? Uh, well, it's in there. It's in Jeremiah somewhere. Uh, and, I, and I looked it up. I couldn't tell you where it's at because it's, it's such a, you know, uh, in, in, as far as Christmas trees go, it's done to really talk about that. It's talking about not worshiping trees. But if you have a Christmas tree, do you get up every morning and go down and bow to it and worship the Christmas tree? You know, oh, thank you, Christmas tree, for providing all the blessings that you bring to our family and that you, 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 you multiply all of these gifts. And do you, anybody worship a tree? Anybody ever bow down at a tree and... And what's the purpose of the Christmas tree? It's the place to put your presents, right? It does, it's, no, it's no more than that, right? But people will, will add to it. And they'll make... So there, there, a lot of times people will find things that are very obscure and make a big deal over it. And, and, and not the weightier matters of the law. Uh, like how, how do we honor the presence of God? You know, they'll come in and just, you know... Uh, with their with their milkshake and their and their sandwich and eat there in the middle of the service while we're preaching, well that dishonors the presence of God, but they'll rail against a, a chicken egg, you know, uh, and so you know, people tell me you can't have a church steeple, you know, because that's a pagan symbol. When you drive by the Baptist churches around town that's got church steeples, do you think well that's a pagan symbol, or do you think you know isn't the Lord good? I mean, you know, uh, it, it's it may have. And I don't even really necessarily buy it, you know, because they, they, they you know, the, these people find these conspiracy theories and, and say, see right here, you know, a hundred years ago it was this, or a thousand years ago it was this thing. Does anybody know that it's that thing? You know, no, it gets sanctified when the church uses it if the purpose of the thing is to worship God. And it is, it's, it's, a, it's just an expression of their love to show, you know, how big God is and, and, um, I mean, we don't have a church steeple, but I've been thinking about installing one just to make a few devils mad. You know, I don't mind making a few devils mad. I don't need, care about having a church steeple. I could care less either way. You know, nothing to me, but I don't mind sticking my thumb in a devil's eyeball every now and then, you know. And so, you know, uh, I, don't know that I, I don't know that I could do that with the right heart, but, you know. <laughs> and so, but see, they'll, they'll take things that don't matter, but things that do matter, you know, they ignore them. Like, how do we honor God in our dress? And how do we honor God in, in, 
I mean, you know, I, I don't, there's no dress code here, right? We wouldn't have a dress code at all. Uh, but people have been fussed at me because I wear a tie multiple times because I wear a tie. Well, you know, that makes me uncomfortable, makes people uncomfortable. Uh, anybody in here uncomfortable because I'm wearing a tie? Are you just like, I, I can't sit still. I can't be in the, you know, oh, I, just, I just feel unworthy because you're wearing a tie. Like, really? We have counseling for that, you know, probably. And we don't really, but, you know, we could probably set up a counseling session if you need to. If my tie makes you uncomfortable. Um, but, you know, really what it was is they wanted to, to dress where they didn't honor God. Now, you know, the way you honor God and how you dress is you dress like you want to honor the Lord. There's no rule. There's no specific how long your skirt is or how short your, you know, this is. But we all know it when we see it, right? You got your shirt unbuttoned down to your belly button and all your crispy chest hairs are showing out there, buddy. That's probably inappropriate, right? Uh, but there's no specific rule. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's okay if we look like Christians. Amen. It's okay if we act like uh, people of God. It's okay that we're different than the world. Um, and Because these, these are pretty serious accusations against these people against the prophets and the priests that they're making no distinction between god and the world uh, and they're trying to be conformed to the world to look just like the world uh, and uh, uh, has anything changed has, has the lord decided that it's okay now to look like the world it's still not okay to look like the world right of course he addressed that in in romans chapter 12 uh, but they have no shown no difference between the clean and the unclean you know how people talk and you know, um, I, I was with a, an evangelist one time and, you know, he was happy to do some work at his house and he hit his thumb with a hammer and, and cussed. Uh, uh, making no difference between the unclean and the clean. Uh, and have hid their eyes from my Sabbath and I am profaned among them. Her princes in the midst thereof are like wolves ravening the prey to shed blood and to destroy souls and to get dishonest gain. So this group of people is, uh, you know, they're out to get money. Amen. You know, back in the day, this was uh, in 1999. You know, Brother Hagen passed away in 2003. But, you know, at 1999, you know, Brother Hagen was pretty much at the top of his, of his ministry, right? I mean, he, he was, uh, in 1999, he was about uh, 82 years old or so. And, uh, you know, lived 70 years in the ministry. No controversy, no no, you know, financial controversy, no, no marital controversy, no really. I mean, some people would say it was, but there's no doctrinal controversy. Everything he says backed up by the word five different ways. Uh, and um, uh, and so he had observed that in the church that there was a lot of uh, error in relation to finances. So, uh, you know, Brother Hagen, he, uh, he just called up all the wheels in the country. Said, hey, we're having a meeting you know, come to Tulsa on your own dime, right? You fly out there, drive out there, you know, hitchhike out there, however you want to get out there, but you come to Tulsa. And some of them said, no, we're not coming. <laughs> I can't imagine a minister been in the ministry 70 years, called me up and said, hey, I need to speak to you in, in person. Uh, no, I'm not doing it. I mean, you know, that, that's, that is uh, showing no difference between the holy and the profane, right? When the, when the representative of God uh, asks to speak to you, in person and you say no so some of them said no uh and then uh, then they got there and then he spent about five hours going through basically the the doctrine of finances in the in the bible about how it's not all about us you know we're not here to to die with the most toys we're here 
to honor the Lord and that the giving is here to advance the kingdom of God and not to advance ourselves. Along the way, we are blessed. But the primary purpose of finances is always to advance the kingdom of heaven. It's not to advance it for us to have the biggest house. I don't have any problem with a big house. You know, well, how, how, how big of a house is too big? There's no number. Uh, but, but he did warn against having what he called an ostentatious lifestyle where you're going to be showy for showy's sake, right? I want the biggest house in town so that I have the biggest house in town. Well, that's a problem, right? When, when the goal is to have the biggest house in town so that you have the biggest house in town, right? I mean, when your house is big enough and you have to have a riding vacuum cleaner, is that too big? I don't know, you know, but, um, you know, I got a John Deere vacuum cleaner, right? Uh, and so, uh, again, none of my business, what people do, but that's between them and the Lord. But he, he was trying to bring correction to the body of Christ. Uh, and I thought it was odd. You know, I've listened to the messages many times. Uh, here, Brother Hagin's been in ministry 70 years, and he asked you to come to let him tell you some things. And, and probably half of it, maybe even more than half, is other people talking. Oh, yeah, Brother Hagin, I remember one time this happened, this happened, this happened. Oh, yeah, Brother, I remember. Why are you saying anything? You know, the man's been in ministry 70 years. So let's find out what he's got to say. He's probably not long on the earth. You know, he was only here with us four more years after that. Uh, let's find out what he has to say. Then we can go tell somebody else what we know, right? Uh, and so they're getting dishonest gain. Well, nothing's changed. Is there still people in the church trying to get dishonest gain? Sure there is. Are, are there plenty of ministers who are trying to get dishonest gain, trying to always get a dollar out of your pocket, Right. Um, I told you I was at the one church one time. They received an offering. They came back and said, well, we didn't get enough money. We're going to receive a second offering. You know, just, I, I mean, just, just seemed like, you know, I didn't have a thus say to the Lord, but something seemed wrong with that picture there. You know, we didn't get enough money. Well, who are you accusing of not following the Lord's will? Well, I mean, what if everybody did the Lord's will and they didn't get what you think you should have gotten? I mean, I don't know. Uh, and so... So he, he was, is speaking about the princes now. Now he's back on the prophets again. So he was on the prophets at the beginning of verse 25. Now he's back on the prophets at verse 28. And the prophets have daubed them with untempered mortar, seeing vanity and divining lies unto them, saying, Thus saith the Lord God, when the Lord hath not spoken. So now you've got the prophets using and name-dropping the Lord for their benefit when the Lord never spoke to them. Uh, and uh, has that ever happened? Is that still happening? It's absolutely still happening. Amen. People will say, thus saith the Lord, and the Lord has not spoken. Amen. Uh, and so, anybody remember the, the 88 reasons why Jesus is coming in 1988 book? Well, what year is it now? It's after 1988, right? Uh, well, what was the sequel to it in 1989? 89 reasons why Jesus is coming back in 1989, right? Uh, you think he'd have given it up after the first time he was wrong. But no, he had to press through one more time, you know. But how many books, you, how many copies of that book you reckon he sold? I mean, I bet there's millions of copies, right? I mean, 88 reasons why. Well, yeah, you know. Uh, and, and Well, did the Lord say that? The Lord never said that. And anybody says, I know exactly when Jesus is coming back? The Lord didn't say that. Because even Jesus doesn't know when Jesus is coming back. Only the Father knows when he's coming back. So has there ever been people that have said, thus saith the Lord, when the Lord has not spoken? I mean, these are all terrible lists of things that the Lord is going over that these people are doing. Uh, and, um, you know, anybody remember the last election? I don't know how you could forget the last election, right? I mean, just, you know, all the insanity that went on there. How many prophets said by March, uh, Donald Trump will be president again? By April, Donald Trump will be president again. The last I heard, by August, 
Donald Trump will be president again. You know when Donald Trump will be president again? Well, probably never, but not before four years up is up, right? Uh, actually, a little bit less than four years now, right? Uh, there's no path for, for Donald Trump to get become president again other than just another election, right? Uh, and so, of course, they, they, they're trying to figure out ways. Well, if we get him in the House of Representatives, right, and then he becomes the Speaker of the House, and then we shoot the president and the vice president, right, then, then, then the Speaker of the House is the president, right? So maybe that's their plan. I don't know. I mean, they're going to assassinate somebody. I, I mean, it's just crazy talk, right? But these were prophets who said these things. Uh, and, uh, you know, the Lord spoke to me in all that mess uh, and basically uh, rebuked me for allowing my emotions to get involved in all that. You know, because as a Christian, I'm supposed to do what the Lord wants me to do regardless of who's running for whatever office, right? Uh, and not, you know, I'm not a Republican. I'm not a Democrat. I'm a child of, of the living God. Uh, and I vote as the Lord instructs me to vote in whatever, in whichever ticket he wants me to vote in. Uh, and, and if I go beyond that, see, then, then I'm mixing, the, the, uh, I'm mixing um, the holy with the profane, right? I'm mixing, because I'm, 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 I'm a stranger and a pilgrim in this land, right? I'm not even an American. Now, I know I'm an American, but I'm not really an American. I'm, a, I'm an ambassador to this, to this strange land that's not heaven. Uh, and so, but uh, how many of those said that the Lord said that, but the Lord didn't say that? Amen. Uh, and, and, you know, there were a lot of things that were said that there's just, you know, there's just no way. I mean, I, I know the Lord can do miracles. Amen. And, and no doubt he could do miracles. But there was so much emotion during all, all of that time frame that I don't know if those prophets who said that were ever listening to the Lord at all. And maybe they just wanted some attention. I mean, I don't know. I'm not their judge, so I could leave it alone. Other than the fact that, well, they said it. And, you know, Brother Hagin, you know, he, of course, Brother Hagin taught on the five-fold ministry gifts, including the prophet. And one of the things he always said, well, the easiest way to find out if a prophet's a prophet is what they say come to pass. <laughs> and they didn't come to pass. So what do you do now, right? That doesn't mean that every prophet's going to be exactly perfectly right. I mean, there are people and there are human beings that can fail and make mistakes. But if every time, I mean, how many different times have they said Trump's going to be back in office? Uh, well, Mr. Trump, he's not Trump. Uh, uh, he's Mr. Trump. But how many times uh, have they said that uh, Donald Trump's going to be back in office? I mean, it's a bunch of times, right? Well, it's not this. It's going to be next week. It's going to be the day after next week. I mean, they, uh, I've heard the stories that, you know, that, Nancy Pelosi was was arrested. She's in jail right now, and uh, and they've already uh, and that uh, uh, I even heard that uh, um, uh, President Biden is a clone, right? He's a clone. Uh, that's pretty impressive, right? He's a clone. You know, they cloned Dolly the sheep, right? Uh, but uh, you know, when they cloned Dolly the sheep, uh, she had to grow. She was a regular embryo like any other sheep and she had to grow took her you know i don't know how long anybody know how long it takes to become a full-grown sheep let's just say it's 10 years i don't know how long it is let's just say it's 10 years uh or it's probably five years let's say it's five years right so it had to take five years for that for dolly the cloned sheep the first mammal that was cloned successfully it took her five years to become a full-grown sheep so that means they would have had to clone joe biden what is he, 140 years old now? I mean, had, had, had to go back 140 years to clone him, right? Well, I mean, you know, was he 83 or something like that? I mean, I don't know exactly how old he is, but how old he They had to go back 80 years to, to clone him then. Well, did anybody even know what the word clone mean 80 years ago? No, and so just things like that that just, 
you know, who believes this stuff? Well, I know people who believe it, but I mean, uh, it, it's, it's a shame, right? Because a prophet, and, and a lot of these people that believe those things would tell me, yeah, but the prophet said this. The prophet said these things. And I'm thinking, well, I mean, it's just, it's so beyond the pale of, of believability, right? Now, I'm 100%, I, I believe God for the world to stop if I have to, like, like Joshua, right? But if I said the world stopped yesterday, but the world never stopped, am I going to believe that? But, but some of these people believe that, you know, that they cloned President Biden. And, uh, and, and it's like, you know, that's technically not even possible, uh, and I don't even know personally. I don't, you know, I'm not. I don't really care about getting into cloning. But what if you cloned a human being? Could you clone their spirit too? I mean, we're spirit beings, right? So what would happen if you cloned a physical body? Would they become alive? I don't really know. I don't know the answer to the question. You know, I'm not really willing to find out because I'm the only one there is of me. And if they cloned me, I don't know what would happen in the world. But um, I don't know if the world's big enough for two of me, right? So, uh, but anyway, so uh, what did he saying? He's saying that the prophets said. Thus saith the Lord, when the Lord hath not spoken. That's a problem in the body of Christ. When people are saying, thus saith the Lord, and the Lord never said. Uh, and uh, fortunately, uh, in the New Testament, we have the Holy Spirit in our lives. Uh, and, and um, you know, a lot of these folks, it's, it, it's been uh, a shame to me because they said, the reason I believe this is because the prophet said it. I understand you're supposed to believe the prophet, right? You know, uh, and um, and you'll prosper. But we live in the New Testament. We believe the prophet as long as the prophet is saying things that are of God, as long as the prophet saying things that do not violate the word of God, as long as it, what the prophet says uh, bears witness with my spirit, because I'm a child of God. And what any prophet says in the New Testament should bear with my should bear witness with my spirit, period. And if it doesn't, then it, it may be it may be frosted flakes. It may just be something that's not important for me to know about. It may not be wrong. It may be perfectly fine, but, um, but this is a problem. You know, it's still a problem when, when the prophets are speaking and saying, thus saith the Lord God when the Lord has not spoken. Uh, anybody ever had somebody come to you and say, well, the Spirit of God told me this about you? I've had people do that to me more than once. Well, God told me this about you. I'm thinking, that's funny. Well, I didn't do that. So, is the Lord wrong? I mean, did, did he, sorry about that, I, I, I thought you were somebody else, you know, maybe I'll get it right next time. I mean, did the Lord really make a mistake and tell him something that, that really didn't happen? No, but they say it so adamantly, so, so um, um, as if they can do no wrong. And then when you tell them they're wrong, they're like, well, yeah, but you would have done it if you could have. You know, instead of, instead of repenting and, and falling in their face, you know, because it's a serious thing to speak for the Lord and to say that he's spoken and he hasn't. It's a serious thing. And people name drop the Spirit of God so often as if it's an unholy thing. As if it's, you know, a CEO or, or, or you know, a president of a company that they name drop to, to get the advantage of the, the fact that they have their name. Um, you know, that, that's very dishonorable to the Lord. And yet people do that all the time. They've done it to me. Uh, Brother Hagin said when he traveled, he said, uh, you know, he traveled all over the country. He said everywhere, he said without exception, everywhere he went for years, Every single uh, new place he went, somebody would have a word uh, from the Lord for him. He said, without exception, they were all wrong. Uh, all of them, hundreds of people, probably thousands of people said, thus saith the Lord. And it wasn't the Lord. 
imagine? Can you imagine? Thousands of people, right? Uh, these, these two ladies came to them and said, uh, uh, the Lord spoke to us, we've got to cast the devil of wearing nice clothes out of you, Brother Hagen. You've got the devil of wearing nice clothes. That's a pretty specific devil, right? I mean, I, you know, do they have like a handbook of devils that there's a book of devils that says uh, devil number 43 is the devil of wearing nice clothes? Uh, so no telling what they were dressed like. You know, maybe they were dressed in sackcloth and ashes. I don't know, but um, they probably should have been, right? Uh, and so he continues on in verse 29. The people of the land have used oppression and exercised robbery and have vexed the poor and the needy. Yea, they have oppressed the stranger wrongfully. Uh, well, I mean, we could go into all kinds of things like that, you know, just both, both in the political realm, but this is, you know, we have to stay focused on the church here. Uh, and so, all, so verses 23 to 29 are all the things that they've done wrong. And these are terrible things, right? Uh, made no difference between the holy and the profane, right? The clean and the unclean. Said, I have spoken when I never spoke. Uh, and he said uh, that they oppressed the stranger wrongfully, vexed the poor, exercised robbery, done all these terrible things. And so now we're at verse 30. And I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it. So uh, all sin requires judgment, right? We've talked about that many times. All sin, uh, because the Lord is just uh, and because of who he is, all sin has to be dealt with. It can't just be overlooked. It has to be dealt with. Uh, and if it's not repented of, then, then judgment will fall. The Lord will take his hand off of everything and let, just let the enemy have his way. That's just uh, the, that's the way it's worked from the beginning. As soon as sin came into the world, and that's the way it'll work until the last sin is, is gone off out of the universe. Uh, and so, so what do we do about that? Well, number one, uh, you know, uh, what, what does uh, Second Chronicles say about if my people are called by my name, would, would humble themselves and pray, right, and repent, uh, then he'll heal their land. So one option is to repent. So you can repent, and the mercy of the Lord will forgive. Amen. And we thank the Lord for that. We think that that's awesome, right? But what if you don't want to repent? Well, then you're just stuck. I guess you've got to die, right? Is that the only option? No, the second option is to intercede. So uh, for those who refuse to, to repent, it's not absolute doom and destruction guaranteed for them. Now, sometimes we don't want to do our part and just, Lord, get them. You know, I hope, I hope they all die, right? I hope they all burn up and die and go to hell or whatever. You know, it's pretty, pretty tough, right? Uh, no, the, the option that we have is if we see a brother or sister in a fault, then what can we do on their behalf? We can pray, right? What do you say? I sought for a man that should make up the hedge. Well, what's the hedge? Well, the hedge, you know, it's just, it's, 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 uh, um, uh, is, is it a, it's not, a, it's a metaphor, right? It's a, because it is a hedge. So it's a metaphor. Uh, it, uh, make up the hedge so that so you know you've seen a hedge rows around houses and stuff well you know you can't really get through them unless there's a gap if there's a gap you just walk right through it right and that's and that's people do to make they cut a gap there and uh, and so so there's hedge of protection that's around the nation of Israel there's a gap in this hedge of protection and so who's going to sneak in through the gap in the in the in the hedge of protection the enemy will right uh, and so the Lord's saying that the that the intercessor can make up the hedge stand in the gap so there's a gap in the hedge. Normally would, would be no gap there in protecting the, the land of Israel. You as the intercessor 
can stand in a gap and say, I'm going to stand in a gap. And I'm going to make up the hedge. I'm going, to, I'm going to fill in this void that was opened up by the sin of the people that are doing these things that are wrong, right? All of these lists of people, the prophets and the priests and the, and the princes, all of those people that are doing things wrong. The Lord said, I, I need just somebody to pray mercy for these people. And he said, uh, uh, he said that if they'll do that, I will not destroy it. Uh, now we know, you know, it's Old Testament, so it's Hebrew, so, uh, so it's generally, uh, it, it really should say that he will not allow it to be destroyed. In other words, the way that the Lord does, does these things, he just takes his hand off and let the enemy have his way because he's, he's unable to advance mercy upon them because nobody has prayed for the mercy. So if somebody would pray for the mercy for these people, then the Lord has the ability to, to on our behalf, on my behalf as the intercessor, I'm going, Lord, please have mercy upon them. And, you, and when you're praying the prayer of intercession, you make no excuses. The whole purpose of the prayer of intercession is because there's a fault and there's a, a gap in the hedge. And you say, Lord, this sin is going on right now. These people are doing these things. They're saying that you said and you never said. They're stealing from the poor. They're harming the widows. They're doing all. They're making no difference between the profane and the and the and the holy. They're doing terrible things, Lord. But I'm asking you for mercy. See, that's the point of the intercessor because the 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 guilty party is refusing to repent. They're refusing to do what they what they should do and could do. Uh, because we know that if you if you repent and, and uh, ask for forgiveness, the Lord will do it, right? He's faithful and just. If you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you for sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness, right? So the, the, the guilty party can do that anytime they want to. They don't need an intercessor to do that. Uh, it's when they refuse to repent and that judgment is, is begins its way towards them. Uh, and so uh, if you pray... The, the prayer to confess your sins, see, that's the prayer of faith, right? Because you believe that the Lord is, is honest when he said that, that if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So that's a prayer of faith. The Lord gave us that promise. We can, we can take advantage of that promise in faith, believing that he'll do what he says he'll do and be cleansed from all of our mistakes, right? But those who refuse to repent, then, then they are headed towards judgment and... Uh, the only thing that can, that can short-circuit judgment uh, is, uh, is an intercessor, right? So let's turn over to the book of James. And, and here's something that, uh, especially in, the, in a church that, um, you know, the church doesn't much like to intercede because many times the church wants people to get what's coming to them. You know, well, Lord, just get them. You know, I hope they get everything they deserve. Karma, right? That's the secular world for secular word for, for sowing and reaping, right? Uh, you know, the, now the law of sowing and reaping is really the issue here because um, if you sow uh, evil, what will you what will you uh, harvest? You'll 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 reap harvest. You'll you'll reap evil, right? If you sow good things, what will you what will you reap? You'll reap good things, right? So the the law of sowing and reaping was established by the Lord uh, Himself. It's not yin and yang and, and karma and all those uh, uh, secular words for that. Uh, yin and yang is not really sowing and reaping. It's the opposite. But uh, karma is, is basically sowing and reaping. But it's just another word for, for the godly principle of sowing and reaping. Uh, and so 
left to itself, left unchecked, then the sin will result in judgment because it's sowing and reaping. You sow death, you're going to reap death. You've sowed sin, you're going to reap the harvest of sin, right? Um, and so, so is there any way out? Is there any way out for the guilty? Because this is the, the purpose of the intercession is primarily for the guilty, right? There are some other aspects of intercession we'll look at, but it's primarily for uh, the guilty. It's not for the innocent because the, do the innocent need uh, mercy? The innocent need no mercy. The innocent is walking in grace and, and the faith of God. So, uh, uh, and, uh, and this is one thing that I, I learned years ago that the only thing that can change the course and direction of the law of sowing and reaping is mercy. Because otherwise, if we sowed evil, we're going to get evil. If we sowed good, we're going to get good. And so you don't, you, you don't need to short-circuit uh, the law of sowing and reaping when you're doing good, right? But when you're doing evil, the only thing that can short-circuit the judgment that will result in the evil acts is the mercy of God. And so here in James chapter 2, he says in verse 13, For he shall have judgment without mercy uh, that has showed no mercy. You ever known people who had show no mercy? You do something wrong and, and, and they drop a ton of bricks on your head. I mean, it's like, you, you know, you, you're so afraid to do anything wrong around certain people that uh, because, you know, if you do the least little thing wrong, they just blast you out of the water. Right. Uh, and say bad things about your mama and your sister and your dog and your cat and everything. Right. And so the Lord said, you know, if you show no mercy, then that's what you're going to receive is no mercy. Well, that's also the law of sowing and reaping. Right. If you, if you sow mercy, what do you think you're going to get? You're going to get mercy, right? If you sow judgment, what do you think you're going to get? You're going to sow judgment, right? Uh, you're going to receive judgment. And he said, um, He shall have judgment without mercy that I show the mercy, and mercy rejoiceth against judgment. Or uh, Philip's translation says, Mercy smiles in the face of judgment. So the only thing that can short-circuit judgment from falling upon the land or falling upon people or falling upon you know because judgment will fall upon uh, a city sometimes judgment will fall upon a church sometimes judgment will fall upon a, uh, a state or a country um, uh, judgment also falls upon individuals amen but a lot of times you'll see judgment fall upon a whole country even though you know mo uh, maybe a lot of the people in that country are you know nice people they didn't do anything wrong but the leadership of that country has, has allowed the country to go in a certain direction that's against God, and the people refuse to do anything about it. And so, the, so even though they're innocent, but because they've allowed, because, you know, you've got, you got, you know, in our country, we've got 300 million people. There's only 535 people in Congress. And if, if all 300 million people walked up to Washington, D.C., they couldn't do anything about it, right? I mean, you just, I mean, they could drop every nuclear bomb in the world. They're not going to kill 300 million people. Uh, and so when the people allow that to go on, then sometimes judgment will fall upon the nation, amen, or that country. Uh, and so, so he said here that, that the only way to, to short-circuit judgment is mercy. Uh, and that is the role of the intercessor, is to be the person of mercy uh, and who is willing to uh, ask the Lord for mercy for these people. Because the list of people and the list of things that they failed uh, there back in, in the book of Ezekiel were terrible things, right? Things that would you normally want them to get off without uh, any, any kind of repercussions? 
I mean, most, most of the time we like, you know, they hurt that innocent person over there, you know, send them to jail. You know, they stole that money from that, so those uh, children over there, send them to jail. They're profaning the house of God, send them to church jail, right? Whatever, whatever it is. Uh, but mercy will step in and say, yeah, they're deserving of that judgment, but I'm still going to ask for the mercy of the Lord. I'm still going to ask for the, for the Lord to step in and I'm going to stand in the gap. I'm going to make up the hedge. Because the Lord said, I, I sought for uh, how many people? He said, amen, right? He didn't, see, he didn't search for a country or city or, or a prayer group or, you know, the telephone chain. He looked for one person out of the entire country of Israel. One person who is willing to, to stand in the gap and say, Lord, yes, we're guilty of all these things. But we ask you for mercy. Uh, now, it takes... See, the, the, the prayer of intercession is not for the faint of heart. It's not for the people who just casually pray uh, on occasion. It's for people who understand who the Lord is and understand that judgment is serious and that uh, infractions against the Lord are serious uh, and that uh, barring his mercy, we would all have ended up on our way to hell. Uh, and so we thank God for his mercy for all of us, right? Uh, and, and, a, and a person of intercession has to have a strong relationship with mercy. Uh, not, you know, there's a difference between mercy and just overlooking things or explaining things. Well, they're just having a hard time. You know, oh, they're just, they didn't really mean that. Or, you know, oh, you know, uh, it wasn't quite as bad as you said it was. And, you know, uh, intercessors don't make any excuses for the failings of the people they're praying for. Right? They're saying, Lord, but they're nice people. They, they, they mow the yard and... and you know, they do all these wonderful things and you, you can't buy your way out of judgment, right? You can't earn your way out of judgment. You just, it doesn't matter all those things, whether they did them all or not, even they did, did some good things. If, if judgment is still going to fall, you don't try to negotiate with the Lord that, yeah, but they're pretty good over here because pretty good compared to the holiness of God is not any competition at all. There's no comparison at all. So you don't try to, uh, an intercessor doesn't try to uh, say to the Lord, yeah, but, you know, they fed somebody last week. And, and by the way out, uh, an intercessor says, Lord, they're guilty of everything you said. They did everything you said, probably twice more than I've ever seen and don't even know about. Every one of them guilty. But I'm standing in a gap, Lord. I'm standing in a hedge. And I'm asking you for mercy because you're the God of mercy. See, so an intercessor is very bold. An intercessor is very strong, has a, has a comfortable relationship with the Lord. There are no, uh, you know, weak-willed intercessors. Well, Lord, I hate to bother you, you know, but if you don't mind, if you could have some mercy. But if you don't want to have mercy, it's okay. You know, I mean, because we're going to look at some examples in, uh, in the scriptures about some people who knew how to pray and intercede. And so the prayer of intercession, to me, is one of the greatest, most powerful, world-changing prayers that you can do because it can change the course and direction of countries and nations and cities and churches and people's lives that... Everybody else had given up on them. But an intercessor can change the path, change that path and, and allow the power of God to come in and make, make some adjustments. Uh, and so the Lord said one man could have stopped the whole wrath of God. One man could have stopped the whole wrath of God. Of all these people that he talked about, all these terrible things they did, one man could have stopped it all. So don't think that your prayers are not valuable. You don't, don't think that, well, you know, who am I? But uh, if you're going to be an intercessor... Because, you know, I think some people are called to be intercessors in the sense that uh, they really have to have a certain level of spiritual maturity, a certain level of spiritual awareness to be a real intercessor. But 
you know, a lot of times I've seen intercessors, they all, uh, you ever known intercessors, they all seem to have a, a gray cloud over them. Why would you have a gray cloud if you're praying mercy on people? You know, it seems like that bring joy to your life, right? That you have the ability to change people's lives and, and the course and direction of the world. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I knew some intercessors years ago, they always carried towels because they're always crying. Oh, we are this Lord. And I mean, that's not to say that there's not some emotions sometimes that come in, into those things. But if you look like you're praying, remember what Jesus said? If you look like you're praying, you're just, you know, you need to not, you need, he said, get up and clean yourself up. And nobody should know that you're praying. Nobody ought to be able to look at you. Oh, clearly they're an intercessor because look, they're crying all the time and heavy and dark, you know, and, you know, sullen all the time. And no, be the great intercessor. I'm standing in the gap. Between me and, uh, and the Lord right here, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna stand in this gap. Amen. And so we'll, we'll look at some other things here. Uh, uh, because I, w- I want to make sure that we, 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 we understand the role of the intercession. I mean, it's, it's a very powerful uh, position, but uh, it has to be taken seriously, amen? So we'll, we'll look at some more examples there and see. So let's pray and thank the Lord for his word. So Father, we thank you for the word of God. And Father, we thank you for the blessings of the Lord. We thank you for the word of God. And Father, we thank you that the, that the, that the role of the intercessor is still valuable in the church today. And so, Father, we, we ask you to help us to see, Lord, if there's intercession that you want us to do, Father. If, you, if you're looking for a single person to pray, Father, then, Lord, here am I. Use me. I will pray. I will be that person who prays, Father. And so, Lord, we thank you for that. We give you the praise and the honor for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, praise God. Well, let's get ready uh, to receive uh, this evening's offering. Um, and I've got to make a note here before I... Or I, um... All right, so uh, Jerry's about ready there. Um... All right, we'll come ahead, Mr. Jared, and receive the offering. And so don't forget, um, um, Friday night, 5 p.m., we'll be at the uh, building next door for a couple hours, Saturday morning, 8 a.m. Um, I think it'll be a lot of fun. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I think we'll have a good time. Anytime you give stuff away, it's always fun, right? And we give it away, and I'm, and I'm hoping that a lot of people need that stuff because I've been over there. There's a lot of stuff people could use, right? It'd be a blessing to them. Uh, and so it's good stuff. Uh, and so, uh, and, and just be aware, you know, this is, it's, it's always an opportunity for ministry. So it's always, so be aware as you're talking to people, you know, don't preach to every single person who walks in, but, you know, be sensitive to, you know, maybe this person needs some, some encouragement to go to church or maybe this person needs some prayer or maybe this person needs some information. And so, you know, any of the books uh, that we have back here, if you think somebody needs one of those, just grab one and give it to them, you know. Uh, we're not putting all those next door, of course, right? But, you know, you be led by the Spirit of God and, and uh, take the opportunity to minister to people, amen? Because that's really what it's all about is to minister to people and to be a blessing to them. So... Uh, Be blessed. Have a wonderful weekend, Lord. We'll see you all Friday and Saturday, right?